My name is Caleb. If we haven't met before, I would love to say hello to you. Uh, Let me pray for us, and we will jump into our sermon today. Father, thank you that we can uh, listen to your word. Thank you that we can worship you. Thank you that we can come together and spend time uh, building relationships with one another, new relationships and deepening relationships that we have. Thank you that we can uh, take some time as we begin our weeks, to have our hearts reset and refocused on you. And, and I ask, God, that you would allow today to be helpful towards that end, that in the middle of our world with its craziness and in the middle of our weeks in our lives with their craziness, that you would allow this time to be special and set apart for you that would change us and allow us to enter into the lives you've called us to with a different mind and a different heart as we focus on you. So I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We have been uh, in a series called Connecting with God, and this is the, the final week in that. We've been talking about what does it actually mean, what are habits and practices that we can have as a part of our life where we are actually connecting with God or engaging with God in the middle of our lives. You, you probably believe in God. You have a relationship with God. If you're a Christian, you would say that you are maybe a follower of, of Jesus or that he's someone obviously important to you. You would say you've given your life to him, and there's a lot of things that we say about how we kind of relate to him, but how can we actually, in the middle of our lives, have practices and habits that cultivate relational health with God, that actually allow us not to just believe in God, but to connect with him, to have him be a part of our lives. So if this is your first time here, or or maybe last week was your first time here, and you're just kind of catching up, I would encourage you to go back, because we've talked about specific habits and practices that we can have in our life to help us connect with God. And this is the final week in that. But, but all of this is getting at that we want to connect with God. If you're a Christian, and even if you're not a Christian, you may, you may say, yeah, that's something that I'm interested in. That's something I want. I'm kind of interested in spirituality or interested in God. I believe he's there. And how can I connect with him? We, we want that. We want to be able to connect with God because we believe that God is good. And if we could connect with him, there could be greater peace in our lives or greater purpose in our lives. We could have a greater sense of joy. Maybe, maybe we could change more in our lives, but we want to be able to connect with him. We want to be able to hear from him and have our lives actually affected by who he is. Let let me give you another kind of just the flip side, the reverse way you can think about this is imagine life without connecting with God. Imagine your life and you were never able to to pray and never able to to be in the middle of a decision that you were kind of wrestling with and experience a, a sense of peace or direction. Imagine in your life going through struggling and suffering and never able to experience comfort from God, never able to experience hearing God's voice speak to you and never being able to hear God challenge you or change you in certain ways. I mean, we don't want that life. We want more of who God is and to be able to connect with him. And and we've been talking about this and, you know, it can be a struggle to connect with God and there's ups and downs in your life. And we've been talking about all sorts of different ways, but today we're going to talk about kind of a key practice that in some ways ties all of the different things that we've talked about together. And we're going to talk about reading the Bible and being able to listen and hear from God in the Bible, because this is one of the keys that really combines all of the stuff that we have seen. So the question for today is really just how can the Bible help me connect with God? How, how does the Bible help in that 
regard. Maybe some of you have uh, tried to read the Bible. You've maybe done a, a Bible reading plan. Usually, you know, you got to start thinking about those goals uh, that are going to fail in February. But, you know, as the end, as the year sort of comes to the end, we start thinking about, okay, 2020, that's the year. Finally is the year that I lose 40 pounds and, you know, read my Bible all the way through or whatever it might be, or gain 40 pounds, you know, get that creatine and, you know, whatever. Um, do, they, do they still use that? Uh, and get injections of human growth hormone or something. I don't know. Um, what are we talking about? Uh, you, you've, uh, you've maybe read the Bible, right, and tried, maybe wanted to read the Bible, or maybe you regularly read the Bible and would want to know, man, how can I experience this more in a way that actually helps me connect with God? It's not just a kind of a religious practice, or, or maybe some of you just aren't even sure. You're like, yeah, I know the Bible is uh, there, but I don't, is it really something I can use to help me connect with God? I, I talk to a lot of people that say, I pray, but reading the Bible is kind of like, uh, I don't know. And it can be a difficult thing. It's not, it's not an easy thing sometimes to want to or even know how to. So how can we use the Bible to actually connect with God? Because what if you could actually hear from God? What if you could actually get to know him? I mean, for some of you, if you were able to hear from God in your life, and think, think about that. If you were able to hear from God in your life, for some of you, and that would create in you deeper peace in the struggles that you have. For some of you, that would create clearer direction of, of where you're trying to go and discern things in life. For some of you, it might just create a deeper sense of, of beauty of the world around you as you got to know the Creator. I mean, it could do all sorts of things if we were actually able to hear from God. So our question today is just how can we use the Bible to help us connect with God as we have been talking about. So to understand that, we need to explore kind of a few questions together. And the first that we have to ask is just what is the Bible? Because there's a lot of confusion around what the Bible actually is. And there's a lot of misunderstanding around what the Bible actually is. And let me just say this too. I am not today, I'm not going to tell you that the Bible, I mean, I am going to say this just in a second, but I'm not going to tell you the Bible is true. I'm not going to try to tell you that this is from God and it's his word and you can trust it. That's, this sermon today is not about that. I believe all those things. We believe all those things as a church. And if you've got questions about that, of how can I trust the Bible and how do I know this? I mean, those are important questions that you should explore. And we've got resources that can help you think about that and explore that stuff. But that's not what this sermon is about today. But I understand that for some of you, that might be a block to even begin to think about the Bible using it to connect with God if you're like, I don't even know if this is something I can trust. Isn't this just a compilation of a bunch of random things put together and a bunch of weirdos thousands of years ago? I mean, if, if that's kind of where you are, I mean, those are important questions to, to talk about and to discuss, but that's just not what we're doing today, okay? So I just have to kind of put that out there. So what is the Bible? Now, oftentimes, we think that the Bible is a book mainly about us, and, and that, can, that can express itself in a few different ways. Maybe when you think about the Bible being mainly about us, that, that means that when you approach the Bible, you are mainly looking at it to help you understand how to live life, and I'm not saying that's crazy and that's super bad, but we, we might think, man, the Bible is mainly a book about me and how I should live my life. It's mainly a book that's telling me what to do and what not to do. It's helping me to see this is right, this is wrong, do these things, don't do these things. Was that, did I have the right and the wrong? <laughs> this is right, do these things, this is wrong, don't do these things. It's mainly kind of that. So you might think of the Ten Commandments, or you might think of 
and just other kind of rules if you grew up in church that the Bible says to do and not to do and love your neighbor and all the different things, right? So you might think the Bible's mainly a book that is kind of my roadmap to life. It's, it's the book that helps me understand. It's the compass telling me here's how you live life. Or mainly, maybe when you think about the Bible being about you, you might think about it in a way that is the Bible is kind of examples to follow, examples to live by. So Abraham had faith. You should have faith. Abraham sold his wife to another man. You should sell your wife. You probably don't think that, but Abraham did do that. But that's kind of hinting at that the Bible's not good for examples. But you might think of it, hey, David, you know, he fought giants and he only had, a, you know, his slingshot and he trusted God and you should be able to fight your giants and, and trust in God. Or, or it might even be examples of, you think about the, you know, when you're a kid, you learn a lot of those Old Testament stories. And, and then in the New Testament, you might think, man, it, Paul, you know, he was able to tell people about Jesus and you should tell people about Jesus and um, you know, Peter, he, he uh, you know, uh, I don't know what Peter did. He did all sorts of bad things. Uh, but Peter did some stuff, and you should do some stuff. That you kind of read it through examples. Or, I think actually even more common than those things sometimes today in our age, is that we read the Bible for inspiration. So the Bible's about me, so it's either rules for how I'm supposed to live a good life, it's examples for how I can kind of see, here's kind of the heroes of the faith, and I can follow them, or it's inspiration. So some of the most popular verses in the Bible, a lot of times people do surveys around this stuff and just kind of say these are the most downloaded verses or highlighted verses in different apps and stuff. And a lot of times it's, it's some of those inspirational verses. So things like God saying, I know the purposes and plans I have for you, Jeremiah 29, you might have it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or, or a you know, a cursive writing on your, on your wall, and you say, man, I know the purposes, I know the plans I have for you, and it kind of inspires you. Yes, God knows, you know, he's not going to harm me, he's going to prosper me, and, and it kind of helps you get through your day. Or um, maybe it's Philippians, very popular verse, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so you believe, man, okay, this inspires me. I can, I can conquer these challenges. I can do things, and I can run that marathon. I can do that job interview. I can you know, learn to ski even though I've never been skiing before. And I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can have that hard conversation, whatever it is. Like, I can do all things. So it's, it's kind of about me in some way. Maybe to inspire you, maybe to give you examples, maybe to help you kind of know the roadmap to life. And a lot of times, that's what we think the Bible is. It's a book mainly geared around us. And how, what, what you think the Bible is, okay, this is so important, that what you think the Bible is, is going to affect how you read it. What you think it is, is going to affect how you read it, and thus how you experience it. And this is true for anything. If you, if you come to a recipe and you're trying to read it like a, a novel, you're going to be really disappointed. You're going to say, this is not good summer reading. It's just telling me a bunch of things to do. Or if you come to a novel and you're like, okay, this is so how I'm going to live my life. And you're like, it's a dark and stormy night. And you're like, I don't know how to apply this. It, if, you, if you don't know the kind of thing that something is, then you don't know how to read it because what it is affects how you read it and affects your experience of it. And here's the big idea of what the Bible is. The Bible is not, it's not mainly about us. It's not mainly about the way that we should live, rule book. It's not mainly the examples that we should follow. And it's not mainly inspiration for Instagram or for your life. 
That's not mainly what it is. It can do all of those things in some ways, but that's not mainly what it is. And if we view it mainly as that, that changes how we read it and changes our experience of it. Here's what the Bible mainly is. The Bible mainly is about who God is. The Bible mainly is a book of God saying, here's who I am. It's mainly a book about who God is and what he is doing to save. That's mainly what the Bible is. It's a book where God says, here is my plan to save people. Here's who I am. The Bible is a book mainly about all of it from Old Testament to the the New Testament is a book about Jesus and God's plan to save us in and through him. So that's very different from how, whether it's inspiration or rules to live by or examples to follow. It's mainly God saying, here's who I am. I've revealed myself in Jesus. Here's what I'm doing to save. Let me, let me just show you kind of a couple uh, verses where this is talked about. After Jesus raises from the dead, he's walking along with some disciples and he is talking to them and explaining to them what has happened, that he died and that he rose from the dead. He's walking them through this. And here's what it says. He said to them, talking about Jesus, he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets, that's talking about the prophets in the Bible, in the Old Testament, all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things, the cross and all that, and to enter into his glory, the resurrection? Then, beginning with Moses, those are the books that Moses wrote in the Bible, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so this is all, this is kind of encompassing Moses and the prophets of the Old Testament. He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he walks them through the Old Testament and says, look, this is about me. This is, and, and Moses never said the word Jesus. And the prophets never said the word Jesus. But he is saying, this is about me. All this whole Old Testament, it's been about me the whole time. Here's what he says even then later in the same chapter. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And the Psalms was the way they even just talked about not just the book Psalms, but kind of the Psalms and Proverbs and the wisdom literature. It's a category in the Old Testament. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now here's what that means. Very important little phrase there. If we don't see this, that the Old Testament is about Jesus, if we don't see that it's actually written about him, our minds are closed to its true purpose. It means you can read the Old Testament and you can read it for examples to live by. It means you can read the Old Testament and see laws to follow. But if you do not see it in how it is actually revealing something about Jesus and how it's revealing something about what was necessary, his, God's plan of salvation for him to die and for him to raise and, and who he is, you actually are missing it. Your mind is actually closed in some way. And Jesus is saying, there's a way to read the Bible where you miss me. And there's a way to read it that you need help for your mind to be open to actually understand who I am. Here's what Jesus says also to the Pharisees. Now, let me just, before you read this, because I don't want you to see it for a second. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. They're, they're the teachers of the Old Testament, of the Bible. So these are the pastors of many of these people. Again, think about an oral culture and, and uh, not a bunch of screens and stuff like that. I mean, these people had giant, if, if not most of, but giant chunks of the Old Testament memorized. I mean, they had, they had huge portions of it committed to memory. They were masters. I mean, this is what they sat around doing. They were masters of the Old Testament. They knew it in and out. 
And Jesus comes along and says, you don't really understand it. Now, that if you stood up to me and said, you don't understand the Bible, I would be offended. But I would also be like, eh, maybe you're right. I do watch a lot of Netflix. I do have other hobbies I'm interested in. But a Pharisee would be like, uh, no, this is everything I do. So Jesus comes along to them and says, you don't get it. John 5, 38, he says, you don't have his word, talking about the Father, you don't have his word residing in you. you don't, I don't have it residing in me? What are you talking about? That's all I do. You don't have it residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. I can tell that God's word is not living in you because you don't trust me and the two are connected. You pour over the scriptures. You are reading them all. You're pouring over them. When's the last time that someone said, oh yeah, my friend, this is my friend I'd like to introduce. They pour over the scriptures. Probably not, right? You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. You see a value in them. You're trying to get something from it. And yet they testify about me. The whole scriptures, they're about me. But you're not willing to come to me, so you may have life. He's saying, man, you spend your time day and night pouring over this. And yet, you don't get it. Because they're about me. And, and if you knew that it was about me, then you would come to me because I'm standing right here. And, and then let me show you another one, not the words of Jesus, but um, as, as Jesus died and he resurrected and he ascends back to the Father, and now uh, the church is getting started and, and the disciples and the apostles and the leaders of the church are trying to help the church kind of get started and, and they're trying to speak to them. They speak the same way about how they are now writing the books of the New Testament. Now, I could, I could spend an hour just kind of going through several examples of this, but I'm just trying to give you some highlights of what Jesus is saying, that there's a way to read the Bible and miss it unless you know it's about him. And then the same thing is what the writers of the New Testament begin to say about the letters that they are writing. So, oh, sorry, I, I, I actually got too far ahead. Let me give you one last one that Paul says. So he's writing to Timothy, and he says this, as for you, continue, of what you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, talking about the Old Testament, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, ever since you were a little kid, he doesn't say it in this passage, but your grandma Lois and your, uh, and your mother Eunice, and they've been teaching you and they've taught you the scriptures, and, and man, you've known them, and these are the scriptures that are giving you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And again, this is the Old Testament. doesn't ever mention Jesus. But he is saying, if you understand it rightly, all of it is about God's salvation in Jesus. And then the preface I gave you before is actually for this part, which is John saying this. And he's talking about his experience, and then that is what he is, why he is writing. What was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus. What we have heard, talking about Jesus. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So we were with Jesus, we touched Jesus, we heard Jesus, we saw Jesus, we were around Jesus. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we now testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we were with Jesus, what we've seen and heard, we also declare to you. So he's saying the whole reason that we are writing the Bible is not just so that you know the things to do and not do, not just so uh, you have examples to follow, not just so you're inspired in your life, but we want you to know the Jesus that we knew. 
we are declaring to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So what is the Bible? The Bible is mainly about Jesus. It's mainly about Jesus. It's mainly about God saying, here is who I am and here is what I've done to save. That changes radically how you read it. If you're mainly coming to it thinking, this is a book about me, how I'm supposed to live my life. If it's mainly about me and the examples I'm supposed to follow, it's mainly about me and the inspiration that I need, you will read it incorrectly. It'll be like reading a novel as a recipe or a recipe as a novel. We've got to know what it is in order to read it correctly and in order to experience it correctly. The Bible is mainly about a person, not about principles. It's mainly about a person who is alive versus principles to live by. It's mainly about God revealing himself to us. So this is what the Bible is, and this changes, this, this changes how we read it. But, but we also need to understand why should we read the Bible. We don't just need to know what it is. We also need to know the motives of, of what should bring us to the Bible in the first place. It's because we need motives. I, I know that we need motives to read the Bible because we all have a Bible. Most of you probably have a, a hard copy, old school, tree-killing Bible. Most of you probably have one of these. I'm just joking. Most of us have, have one of these, okay? But, but all of us have access electronically to Bibles, maybe even multiple Bibles, and one on your computer and on your phone, and, and maybe you get kind of Instagram things, or maybe you even have apps that help you read the Bible. Like, we all have the Bible. None of us, I mean, there's been times in the history of the world, and there are even now countries in the world where access to the Bible is very difficult. That's not true of us. We have the Bible. It is readily available to us. We have it. If you're a Christian, most of us believe the Bible. We would say, I believe this is God's word. I believe this is true. Most of us, so we have it. We believe that it's true. It's from God. And most of us also believe, man, this can change my life. Most of us believe that. I mean, most of us believe this can have a huge impact on me. We believe that. Like if I gave you a test, you probably wouldn't say impact of the Bible 1 to 10. Eh, point one and a half. Like you're, you're going to say, yeah, I believe there's power. So we have it. We believe in it. We even would probably say in our life it has affected us. And yet, statistically speaking, they do studies on this every year, but statistically speaking, most of us don't read the Bible that often. Okay, most of us don't read the Bible that often, and I'm not going to ask you to stand up and you know, out yourself, but we just know that that's just a statistical truth, that most of us don't read the Bible that often. So my point is we've got it, we believe in it, and yet we don't read it that often. And I know, like you probably, man, I do read it, I'm trying to read it, I know, I know. And I'm just trying to say, what can give us some motives to read the Bible? What can compel us even more to actually want to read the Bible? Why should we read the Bible? Now, this is so important that if it's about him, if it's about him, it's not mainly about us, but it's mainly about God. If it's, it's mainly about him, it means that we are reading it. We're reading the Bible, not mainly for stuff to do and not mainly for information, not even mainly for inspiration, but we're reading it to actually relate to him which is back to our big idea, our big question. We're reading it to connect with God. We're reading it to relate with him. 
Let me show you the verse that we just looked at, and this is the verse that we'll kind of look at the rest of the time in 1 John, but I want to show it to you in the message, which is translation of the Bible that's kind of a modern translation with modern language, but I just like the way that it phrased this, and then we'll go back to the one that we use, but I just want you to see it just so you can kind of hear it fresh in a new language. It says this, from the very first day, we were there. We were there, taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life, Jesus, appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen, and now we're telling you in most sober prose, that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. What, what this is saying, and, and what he says here, and back to the version that we read before, is, is the reason that they're writing is so that you may have fellowship. You may have fellowship, that you may have communion, that you may have relationship, that you may share in the life with Jesus. It says the reason that we are writing, the reason I'm sitting down to write you what is now part of our Bible, the reason I'm writing this to you is so that you can relate to God, so that you can have a relational experience with him. See, Jesus is, he says, the one who is life, the word of life, the word of life, and he wants to relate to you. Now, here's what this means, the word of life. I mean, that's kind of a weird, you know, we don't, we don't think about that much. Probably when you're praying, you probably don't say, oh, word of life, I'd like to talk with you for a minute. That's kind of a weird thing. But word of life, if you think about life and that concept of life, which is very big throughout the Bible, and Jesus in the book of John often says that I am the, you've probably heard these, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the name of our church is true life. Because Jesus is always talking about this idea that he is life. And here's what that means. It means that if, when you think about the good life, or you think about life to the full, or you think about life in not, not in a way that's life as in someone is dead and now they're living, but life as in a quality of life. Life as in all that is, man, I all, oh, man, this is the kind of life that I want. Or maybe you have a friend and you say, uh, maybe they don't even live here and you love when they visit or you get to visit them and you say, oh, it's so life-giving. And we're talking about not that, yeah, I was about to die, but then when I was with my friend, they're a defibrillator. That's not what you mean. You mean, man, it was, it was giving me a quality of joy and of fulfillment. And they are saying about Jesus, and Jesus says about himself, that he is the word of life, that he himself is all that is beautiful and perfect and good. He, anything that you could say, man, this is the good life. Whatever that might, if you could paint a, you know, a vision of the good life, and maybe it involves more money, and maybe it involves lots of great friends, and maybe it involves beautiful relationships, and it involves, you know, wearing a sweet robe and, and having down comforter, you know, with millions of goose feathers or whatever. Like, I don't know what the good life is. There's a little bit of picture of mine, but I don't know what the good life is for you. I love to kill geese and just stuff them in my bed. And so I don't know what the good life is, but whatever, <laughs> whatever that picture is for you, Jesus is saying, I'm that times infinite. I am life. I'm not just someone that raises the dead. I am life. 
And that one, the one that is life, wants to relate with us. They are saying, this is the word of life, and we are writing so that you could have fellowship with life itself. They're saying, we are writing to you because the one who is eternal life himself, the word of life, he wants to relate with you. And we want to help you. We want to make this introduction in some ways. We want to bring you to him so you can actually have communion or fellowship or relationship with him. Which means in whatever situation that you're going through in life, whatever's hard, whether that's work or marriage or kids or I mean, just life itself, maybe you're new to Denver and kind of trying to figure it out and, and how do I kind of carve out my way here and Whatever, whatever's, whatever your situation is right now, whatever life kind of stuff is going on for you that you find difficult, the one who is life wants you to experience life connected to all that he is. So you've got that friend that you say, oh man, they're so life-giving, or maybe it's even family members and you just can't, man, you love being with them because it's, oh man, I just, I feel like I get so much life out of the conversations I have. Jesus is saying, I am that, and I want, in everything that you're going through, I want you to experience your life connected to my life-givingness. I want you to have life connected to me. That's a beautiful desire that he has for us and what he wants for us to have. This is why we come to read the Bible. It is because he wants to relate with us. The one who is life wants you, wants us to have life connected to all that he is. Now, let me just go back to something they said. They said, we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. I want that. I mean, don't, I, mean, I don't know if you think about that often, but I, I would love that with Jesus. I remember, and I, I, um, I think I maybe sometimes still do this. If I do, it's been a while, but I know I at least used to do it when I was a kid. I would pray, God, give me a dream. Give me a dream where I'm like one of the disciples so that I can like experience. And I, you know, I was a church kid, so you're like, that's a weird prayer. You know, I prayed for, uh, sorry, I, you know, and I prayed, God, like I want to, I want to be like one of the disciples and get to experience like what it would have been like. I, I want that, and not just in a dream way, but in my life, man, I would love right now to go sit down and talk with Jesus. I would love right now to be like, Jesus, what do you think about this? And be able to hear him and touch him, to actually physically be around him. And they say, that's what we had. We heard him, we saw him, we touched him, and they don't go, ha ha, and they don't say, like, sorry that you don't get that, but, you know, it's a rough, you know, we had it. Sorry you don't. That's not what they say. You know what they say? We had it. We touched him. We saw him. We heard from him. We were there with our own eyes. And now we're going to declare it to you so that you can experience the same thing. See, they say that Jesus revealed himself. That life was revealed. Jesus revealed himself to them. He came to this earth. He was with them. He walked with them. They could touch him, see him, hear from him. They lived life with him. He revealed himself to them. But now they say, we are declaring to you so that he can be revealed to you. He was revealed to us. And now we are declaring him to you so he can be revealed to you. You see, any relationship that you're ever going to have, one of the core, one of the core aspects of relational health is going to be someone revealing themselves to you. 
like for those of you that are single and you're dating and uh, maybe you're here even on a date, welcome, you know, at church. It's a great place to start your relationship. Um, <clears throat> you should break up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> dang it, we picked the wrong church today. Uh, one of the cores, like if you're dating, you reveal a little bit of yourself on your dating profile, right? All the best parts, not usually the bad parts, unless it's sort of like job interview. Like, I'm too committed. I'm too passionate of a lover, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> you, you reveal something of yourself, Right? You say, there's more laughter on that. Maybe someone actually put that. Um, you reveal something of yourself. You say, here's who I am. Because the core of any relationship and how relationships start and further is you have to reveal something of yourself. And I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, I, I know it was C.S. Lewis. Uh, he, he said that friendships, um, one of the ways you could just even describe a friendship is people beginning to share secrets, secrets with each other little by little. And you think about that in your relationships, that that's true, right? That you, you start a relationship and then you reveal a little bit more of yourself. You reveal a little bit more of yourself. You reveal a little bit more of yourself. And that's how relationships often bond and form. That they have to have as the core, you revealing yourself. Now, all of that is to back up to this and say, what they are saying is Jesus revealed himself to us. We got to experience that. That he, man, God himself, he revealed himself to us. He let us get to know his heart. He let us get to know his mind. He, he let us get to see his actions. And, and through that, we could see what his will and his purpose was. He revealed himself to us. I want that. And what they say is the way that you can have Jesus reveal himself to you is through what we are declaring or through the word through the scripture, that he reveals himself not just to them. It wasn't just a, something that these you know, lucky 12 people got to experience. It is something that he is saying, I want to, Jesus, God, God himself is saying, I want to reveal myself to you. I want you to be able to get to know me. I want you to be able to see me, to see my heart, to see my mind, to see my will, to see who I am. Not just so you can say, ta-da, here is me, but because that's the core of relationship. And he is inviting us in to experience that. Let me give you another illustration around this. With all good books, with all good books, and I know probably some of you are readers, some of you are not readers, so I think it's true with good books and good movies. Okay, we just finished watching. I, I've seen it before. I don't know why I feel the need to say that, just to show you I'm a true fan. But uh, we just finished watching Friends on Netflix. My wife had never seen it before. Um, and all good shows, we watched uh, all good shows, okay, all good movies or television or books draw you in, right? And they make you kind of feel like, oh, I want to be a part of this or, or I am a part of this if it's good. Like when Friends ended, there was some sadness, you know, in a little bit like, oh, it's our friends, it's over, you know? They're getting so old and they're having babies and they're moving out, spoiler alerts, you know, and they're moving out of the city, you know, it's real life, this is what actually happens. And, and you're like, oh, man. And because and, you're brought into the story. When my wife read Harry Potter, she was just like, oh, when she closed that book, oh, so sad. It's done. It's over. Harry, you know, I had a relationship with him for so long and it's done now. Like good books make you feel like you are being brought in and drawn in. Good movies make you feel like I, I, mean, like, I feel like I helped destroy the ring in Mordor. Like I, I feel like that. They, and I, I think it might be true. And you... <laughs> Don't laugh. I'm serious. Uh, they make you feel like you're a part of the story, right? 
because they're bringing you in, because there's something of the characters revealing themselves, there's something in the story saying, you can be a part of this. Now, the Bible is like that, except it's actually true. It's not just a feeling of like, oh, I feel like I'm being brought in. I feel like I get, because the Bible actually says about itself that it's living and active. And so God is actually saying, here's who I am. And listen, it's not just, so from a movie, it's the director or the producer. In a book, it's the author. Their intention is to make you feel that. They want you, they are trying to draw you into the story. Okay, Jesus wants to draw you in to himself. Not just a story, but the Holy Spirit himself is actually speaking, saying, I want you to see me. I want you to be brought in. I want you to know me. Not just as like a mind trick, but actually to be brought in and be able to fellowship with me, to commune with me, to know me. Why should we read the Bible? It's a relational activity that the God of the universe himself is saying, I want you to be brought in. I want you to be able to know. Isn't that so much better than uh, here's how you need to live? Or even here's some inspiration for your day. The God of the universe is saying, I want to bring you in to know me and relate to me. The one that's life himself. All perfection is saying, I want you to have life connected to me. And which means what they said, we read it for joy. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I mean, if you could have that, what we're talking about, your joy will be complete. He says the reason we are writing the Bible and thus the reason we want you to read it is so that you would have an experience of joy that is overflowing. I mean, look, we all know this, that the greatest, the greatest joys in life, the greatest joys in life are relationships. Right? There's a lot of great things in life. I mean, I, we, in this room, there's probably different activities that we like. I love to hike. I love to eat donuts and cinnamon rolls. I love uh, good movies like Lord of the Rings and other things. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of stuff that we love and we get joy from. But if you could choose, and this might be a hard choice for some of you, but if you could choose, have a delicious steak, or if you're a vegetarian, a great cabbage. If you could have one of these, actually, I love cabbage, okay? If you could have one of these. If you could have one of these or you could have a best friend. Like there's no joy in your life. If you could have an amazing trip to the Bahamas or you could have a best friend for the rest of your life or a spouse or, what, or all of your broken relationships could be healed. Like, whatever, like none of us are, unless we, unless, and this would actually only prove the point, unless you've been so hurt relationally that you don't even want to go there. But naturally, we're always going to pick relationships over any other joy because they are the greatest joys in life. And if relationships are the greatest joy, then the best person is going to be the best relationship. The best person is going to be the best relationship. And the best person is thus going to bring the most joy. And God is the best person that there is. So to actually be able to be involved in relationship with him, has the ability, even if you say, I haven't tasted that, I haven't experienced that, that's not how I read the Bible. I'm just telling, like, just conceptually, you know that the greatest joys are relationships, and the greater the person, the greater the joy that's available. And so God himself is saying, I want to have a relationship with you and bring you into it. That must mean that your joy can actually be complete. Whatever joy you have right now, 
whatever joy you experience in life right now, Jesus is saying, it's not complete yet. And I want to complete it. Whatever joy you have in life, Jesus is saying, to get to know me more, to experience me who is life, to experience relationship with me more, your joy will complete more and more. So that whatever it is in life that, that you are experiencing and you feel like you lack joy in that area. So let's try to make it a little, like bring it down a little bit. Whatever area that you go, man, I need more joy here. Maybe it's that you walk around with shame and guilt and you want more joy there. Maybe it's in your relationships and you want more joy there. Maybe it's a feeling kind of just the pressure and burden of life and, and you want more joy there. Maybe it's you lack purpose and meaning and you want that joy. Maybe you're fighting and you're like, I've got some joy, but I need it to be completed. And oftentimes we think, oh, it'll be complete here. Maybe this person can complete it or complete me. Maybe this money can complete it or complete me. Maybe this job will complete it or complete me. Maybe this city can complete it or complete me. And Jesus is saying, you know what you need? You need the best relationship that is possible. You need to actually enter into relationship with me where you get to know me and I show you who I am and, and we are communing. And then your joy will be complete. This is the motives for reading the Bible, that God sees your life. Listen, God sees your life right now. And he wants to complete your joy. That's the truth. Why should we read the Bible? It's not just to know what to do or to, to, to be inspired. It's, it's to actually enter into a joy-giving, eternal life, the best person relationship that is possible. The God of the universe saying, I want you to be able to know me. That's the kind of book it is. It's a different kind of book, which means we approach it differently, which means we have different motives for actually reading it. Now, let me give you some practical things of what this means for how we read the Bible in that way. Because even if you know that or uh, you say that, okay, maybe that's true or, or maybe you've never heard that before and that's kind of this big vision that's like, I, I don't know if, how do I read the Bible like that? Because that's not how I read the Bible. I read the Bible and go, huh? What does that mean? This was the son of this, was the son of this, was the son of who? Like maybe you're like, I, I don't know how to read the Bible like that. So I want to kind of give you a model that we have here, and it's just an acronym that is called WORDS. And we've actually got some bookmarks on the table in the back um, that we have replenished that you can grab on your way out. But it, it walks through a way to read the Bible so you can read it to experience what we just said. So you can read it in a way where you're actually able to commune and relate with God. So it becomes a relational activity instead of just an informational activity. So let me walk you through these. The first is worship, which means that we come to it saying, who is he? That, if, if the Bible mainly is God saying, here's who I am, it's mainly Jesus, Jesus said, it's mainly about me and me showing you who I am, then the first thing we should do when we read the Bible is say, who is God? that I can worship him for. Not just who is God in some abstract way, but who is God that I can say to him, man, you are powerful, you are good, you are gracious, you are kind, you are patient, you are loving. And to say thank you for those things. 
See, God wants you to know and see who he is. He's inviting you to see himself. So we start with that. Just like John said in his letter that we are telling you, here's who he is. And then we move to owning it. So that it's not just truth about who God is, but where do I need that truth? Not just here's who God is, but where do I need to believe that? Where, where do I need to personalize that or own that for me? Because there's a lot of truth about God that, that the Bible tells us that maybe right now you don't particularly feel a need for. I'd say God's in control of everything. And you go, okay, yeah, I, I believe that. But that's not really what you need to hear. You need to know and hear and experience that God is gracious to you. You see, so we, we start with who is God, but then where do I need that? Because you, man... This is true whether you know it or not, and I think probably many of you feel this. There's something about God that you need today. There is something about who God is that if you could have more of that, that if you could know it deeper in your bones, you would go, yeah, I need that. I need to know more that he cares for me. I need to know more that he is for me, that he loves me, that he's gracious when he sees my sin, that, that he is patient with me and my struggles and my failings, that he is kind to me and, and wants good for me, that he is in control of the chaos that I feel in my life, that he's holding things together even when it feels like everything's falling apart. Like there's something about who God is that you need to know today. And God wants to speak to you he doesn't just want to say, here's who I am. He wants to say, here's who I am to you. To have fellowship, to com have communion relationship with you. That's a personal thing. God wants to talk straight to you. And then we move to R, which is repent, which is to say that we confess where we're not believing those things. So we say to God, God, I, man, you're revealing truth. You're telling me here's who I am. You're saying that here's where I need to see this. But God, I don't believe that right now. You want fellowship with me. You want to reveal yourself to me. You're saying here's who I am. And God, I'm saying, I don't really believe that's true about you. I'm, you're saying, God, I don't, really, I don't really trust that that's who you are. So to repent is to confess to God our lack of belief in who he is saying that he is and how that manifests itself in our actions. And listen to me. God wants to convict us. He wants to show us where we don't believe, not to condemn us, not to say, you don't believe, how dare you, but to, because he wants to help us. He wants to say, look, there's some things about me you, you don't believe right now, and I want you to experience the joy of having life with me. So let me help you see who I really am. And then we go to do, which is oftentimes where many of us start, this is kind of the obedience place, which is, so God, if all this is true, if this is who you are and this is where I need it and here's where I'm not believing it or not living in line with it, so what does that mean that I do now? And this is where we do come to the things that the Bible says we are to do, where we are to obey. And we ask God then, God, so help me to live the way that you reveal. Help me to live in line with relationship with you. Help me to practically obey and apply the things that you are speaking to me. And God, listen, God knows best for us. There's nothing God calls us to do because he's just like, I know how to ruin their life. He always knows, God knows best. He designed the world. He designed us. And so when he calls us to something, he's saying, I want you to experience more life, more joy. So come, let me show you where it is. 
And then we get to S, which is to share that. Which is really what John is saying that they're doing. He's saying we experienced who God is. It was personal for us. He doesn't mention repentance, but they repented of things that they didn't previously believe about Jesus. We've lived in line with this. And now what we experienced, what we saw, we're telling to you so that you can experience it. And we do the same. See, we get to know God. We have an experience with God. We have an encounter with God. We, he reveals himself to us. We start to live in line with him. And then God, whatever God does for you, he wants to do from you. Whatever God does to you, he wants to do through you. So he says, here's who I am. And then we are able to use that to pray for other people, to say, man, I bet they need that about who you are in their life. And we're able to use that to talk to other people, to be able to say, hey, what were you reading in the Bible this week? Or, or, or to be able to just share, man, you know, you know something God's been showing me? You know something God's been teaching me about who he is? And we're able to share. This, by the way, especially for those of you who are married, but really it's true in friendship and anything, this deepens your conversation. If you want to be able to have deeper conversations that aren't just superficial or surface level or business oriented, but actually be able to talk about the heart, this is one of the key ways that you can actually say, can I share something that God's been helping me see about who he is? And man, and you might need this in your life. And here's what, or hey, can I tell you something I was praying for you uh, this week? So this is, this is kind of the flow of how you can read the Bible for relationship. And the last thing on how is just a couple practical things. If you want to learn to, that's kind of how you actually do it. But let me just give you a couple quick things on how you can do this as a discipline. You got to pick, basically it's this. You got to pick when you're going to read the Bible. Instead of just saying, okay, I want to do that. When are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? Is it going to be in your car? Is it going to be in the lunch break room? Is it going to be uh, in downstairs in your house, away from all the chaos and noise, or upstairs in your house, away from all the chaos and noise. When can you do it? Where can you do it? And what? So that you're not just opening the Bible and saying, what do we have today? But you're able to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to read the Psalms, or I know I'm going to read Acts, or I know I'm going to read Philippians, and I'm going to read it, I'm going to try to read it in the morning for 15 minutes, and I'm going to read it you know, outside or in my car or whatever it is. You just got to think about when, where, and how. And listen, I would even encourage you, just, that's so simple, but just to write that down and say, God, here's my plan. Pray that you would help me to be able to do this because I want to relate to you. I want to be able to relate with you. We all want to connect with God. We all want exactly what he says here, that what they have seen and heard, we also declare to you so you may have fellowship with us. That's what we want. If you're a Christian, you want to connect with God. I want to connect with God more deeply. We want to connect with God. And reading the Bible, I don't even like, I mean, I say reading the Bible because obviously it's a book, but I think it's even sometimes more helpful to not think about reading the Bible, but to think about listening to God. And to listen to God is one of the key ways that obviously we can connect with God. I mean, if we have a regular habit in our life of listening to him, of listening to God, imagine what that would do. Imagine just for yourself, if you were more able to hear God's voice, you would get to know him more, your joy would increase, transformation would happen, direction would happen, peace would happen. 
And I'm not saying reading the Bible once a week or even five times a week changes your life immediately. But that's not how relationships work. Relationships work with, as I'm listening to this person, I'm being changed by this person. I'm getting to know them, and then my joy is completing. This is what God wants for us. It's what he wants for our church, to connect with him. So let's engage with God. Let's relate to God. Let's, let's take the things that we've talked about over these last six weeks and say, man, I want to connect with this amazing person. When, when we come to take communion, what we're remembering is that Jesus' body was broken and that his blood was shed. Why? To give us relationship. And we've talked about fasting and we've talked about praying and we've talked about obedience and we've talked about repentance and we've talked about Sabbath and, and today we've talked about reading the Bible. All of these things are ways that we connect with God. But the beautiful truth is before we ever did anything, God said, I want to connect with you. I want to give you myself. You don't deserve it. You're filled with sin and I want to die for your sin and remove it and reconcile you to me. See, the beautiful, the good news of the gospel is not just that our sins are forgiven, but that our sins are forgiven, which means we can have reconciliation, which is connection with God. And so when you come to take communion today, remember that word, communion, that it is a way that we commune with him, that he wants to commune with us, to give us relationship, and he was willing to pay the greatest cost so that you could get to know him and experience life and joy with him. So we pray with me, and then we will sing in response to this great God. Father, I thank you that you give us relationship with yourself, that you want us to experience joy and life with you. I thank you, Jesus, that you were committed to this, that it wasn't just a desire you had, but you did everything. You became a human and humbled yourself. You lived a perfect life. You died a death that we should die to give us life that only you could give. Thank you for your deep desire to have relationship with us. I pray that you would let these truths go even deeper into our hearts and we would be able to celebrate that and experience that even in these next few songs together. In your name, Jesus, we pray.